All right, if you could turn to Luke chapter 10. If you're one of those people that looks at the notes, don't bother. (laughs) Well, there'll be a little bit of continuity, but it's going to be a little different. So... We're continuing uh, through the meals Jesus had with people in the Gospel of Luke and uh, talking about a heart of hospitality and uh, particularly God's heart of hospitality. Um, but it obviously touches upon so many more things as Jesus, Jesus interacts with a variety of people at these different meals. So we'll be looking at uh, a short passage today, uh, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scriptures which you have given us by the Holy Spirit to make us wise for salvation through faith in your Son. We ask that you would make them profitable for us, teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. Make us mature, equipped for good works as we study the Scriptures this morning. In Christ's name, amen. sure you didn't miss the news this week. Billy Graham passed away. And on Facebook, there were lots of people who said lots of things about Billy Graham. And there were lots of pictures uh, that were put up with Billy Graham. One of my favorites was him and Johnny Cash. Um, Maybe as I get older, I have a growing appreciation for Johnny Cash. I'm not sure what it is. But uh, the other picture which is sort of an iconic picture, is Billy in a diner with three young African-Americans smiling. You see, Billy, uh, early on in his ministry, went by the rules. And in a lot of places, there was the segregation that took place at the Crusades. But by the middle of the 50s, Billy said, enough is enough. The kingdom does not segregate people by race. And so in many ways, Billy Graham was countercultural. Seen also in the fact that He didn't care what party the president was from. 
He met with him. He encouraged him. He prayed for him. He instructed him. But Jesus is greater than Billy Graham. Sometimes you might have forgotten that with all of the hoopla that happened this past week. But Jesus was also countercultural. Jesus didn't bow to the corrupt culture of his day with the many ways that they could um, add things to a godly perspective. Our big idea this morning is that Jesus transcends cultural expectations in or through the gospel. In other words, Jesus isn't just baptizing the cultural standards of his day. Jesus was challenging many of them when they were out of step with kingdom principles. And so we're going to look at two of those things today. The first is that Jesus valued women in the kingdom, women who were devalued in their culture. We have this uh, unknown village that, well, in other places we know it's Bethany. Okay, We know that from other texts of Scripture. But Luke just doesn't want to focus on that. He says they're, going, they're traveling after the 72 come back from the missionary journey that Jesus sent them on. This is the second little uh, missionary journey. And so uh, they're, they're going on their way. They come to Bethany, and there's a woman named Martha who welcomes him into her home. Now, we're not sure about a few things. We're not sure if it was just Jesus or whether the, the 12 also joined Jesus in Martha's home. But knowing who else lived in that house, I'm kind of going, where's Lazarus? The text, or the translation, I should say, says her home, but there is no uh, feminine possessive pronoun that is found in the Greek text just said invited him to home so we don't know who the head of this home is remember this this was an extended household this household included her sister Mary and included her brother Lazarus but she took some initiative possibly stepping a little bit outside of the bounds of uh, normal practice of that day and invite him in And so here's the party, or the the dinner that takes place. And we see that Luke mentions that Mary, her sister, sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, this is where things can possibly get a little cloudier. We're not sure how this Jewish home was run, because remember, uh, the, the Jews had been subjugated by a number of ethnic groups before. And so they may have taken on some practices that were um, associated with those. Uh, For instance, Greece for a long time had ruled Jerusalem. And at the present time, Rome was ruling Jerusalem. And so it's possible it could have reflected a Greek household culture in addition to some Jewish elements, or possible that it had already taken on Roman characteristics. 
If it was Greek in nature, they tended to segregate the men and the women. There were parts of the home that were for the women and parts of the home that were for the men. And so part of what could be happening here is that not only is Mary not doing what she's supposed to be doing, she's not helping her sister, she's actually breaking cultural standards. Because she was supposed to be doing that work. The women weren't part of the party. They served the party. And so Mary is is breaking ranks. She's not doing what she's supposed to be doing, and she's doing what she's not supposed to be doing by that culture. In Roman households, it was a little more liberated. Women were not as segregated from men, although women still had fewer rights. So what we see or what we should understand and what we need to remember is that human cultures reflect the curse of Genesis 3. Human cultures reflect, in some cases, oppression and in other cases, competition between the sexes. You see it in every culture. I don't have to prove it to you. You all know this. But I want to just lay it out so that you understand where I'm going with this. Here we see Mary is learning at the feet of Jesus. Now, let's think of this for just a moment. That's not incidental language. For instance, in Acts 22.3, we see that Paul was a disciple at the feet of Gamaliel. And so it's not just that Mary happens to be sitting in the vicinity of Jesus' feet and that she is listening to him. It is that Mary is a disciple of Jesus. She is listening as a disciple to her master, her teacher, her rabbi. And Jesus is not put off by this. Women generally did not study like disciples in that culture. Women knew basic things that would enable them to run a house and even perhaps a business. Okay, We see from Proverbs 31 that, that she didn't stay home, but she sold land and other things and bought and purchased things. But they were not as educated as the men tended to be educated. What we see here is a, is a woman that is breaking cultural standards. Okay, I'm not saying that to judge her. Hold on. Don't get ahead of me. We see 
that as best as he could, Paul would conform to Jew or Gentile culture. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. To the Jews, I am a Jew. To the Gentiles, I am a Gentile, so that I might win some to Christ. Paul, in other words, did not feel that he was bound to any particular culture. But Paul moved freely within cultures in order to make Jesus known. Sometimes we see that cultural expectations can get in the way of biblical norms. We saw that with Billy Graham. There was a cultural norm of segregation that got in the way of the biblical norm of evangelism and worship. And so the biblical norm should prevail over the cultural norm. And how I wish the southern churches had said no to the segregationist movement amongst them. How I wish the church was different from the world in those days. But don't worry, we still have ways that we're like the world. But it's not new. We read from Galatians chapter 2. What was Peter doing? These men from James show up in Antioch. And what's he doing? He's acting like the kingdom principle of Jew and Gentile together in the church doesn't exist. And he begins to segregate, to keep himself from the Gentiles that he used to have lunch with. What we see and understand from places like Galatians 3, is that Jesus bore the curse. And part of the curse that He bore, I believe, is that Genesis 3 thing that results in oppression and competition between the sexes. Jesus removes the curse within the church that is responsible for the cultural distortions because both women and men have equal access to God. Now, don't read more into that than I just said. I am a complementarian, which means I believe that men and women complement each other. I believe that God has established men as the head of a, of a woman, their wife, and only their wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. I do affirm on the basis of Scripture that elders are to be men, but sometimes we add stuff to that. Sometimes we take our cultural perspectives and understandings of masculinity and femininity and add to what God has said and corrupt what God has said. We are prone to confuse cultural expectations with the biblical norms because we're sinners still. For instance, there are basic human traits. Strength of character is a basic human trait. And so, you know, the, the continuum of strength of character for men and for women would be the same. They both would, you know, kind of line up like that. Strength of body might be a little different. It might look like that. There's overlap, but men generally are not, the strongest men are stronger than the strongest women. 
Okay? But I'll say this. I'm pretty sure that the U.S. gold-winning women's hockey team is a lot stronger and faster than I am. Okay? So don't confuse generalities with absolutes. It's important for us in that. And so there are some men who are more tender-hearted than other women, than some women. Sometimes our culture, I think, because it tries to keep masculinity and femininity within this really small range, doesn't recognize the breadth that can exist between men amongst themselves on some of these things and women amongst themselves and thinks that because you're an outlier, therefore you're not feminine. Not true. Not true at all. That's just placing a cultural expectation on something, adding it to a biblical expectation. But what we see here is that Jesus, okay, Jesus received Mary as a disciple. Jesus is not rebuking Mary for being out of place. Jesus is instructing her. He's not blind to the fact that there's a woman at his feet listening to him. He's rejecting the cultural distortion of his day. Paul, as well, rejected the cultural distortion of his day. In 1 Timothy 2, we see that he permitted women to learn. And some people might get upset about the learn with quietness part. Women weren't supposed to learn. And one of the reasons why the church grew so quickly amongst women in the early days was because the church treated women like human beings when so much of the culture did not. The church valued women in many ways that the Roman culture did not. Because... Women are made in the image of God. So, I hope you don't hear me like a liberal, but I think I'm biblical in trying to hold these tensions together. And so in Jesus, the kingdom intruded on this world as seen in his relationship with women. The fact that Jesus valued women Jesus welcomed women as His disciples. They had full access uh, to God the Father through Jesus. Secondly, Jesus joins love of God and man in a world that tends to separate them. You see, what could go wrong right here with this picture of, of, you know, this little party and Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to Him? What could possibly go wrong? Martha was distracted with much deaconing. Yeah, that's the, that's the word there. You deacons. You can get distracted with your deaconing sometimes. And Martha was distracted with her serving, her deaconing. You see, she's not at the feet of Jesus at this particular moment. She's working on the dishes. She's 
cleaning, who knows what she's doing, but there's a whole lot of serving going on. And the point is, is that this serving has become a burden to her. Now, part of it is because her sister, Mary, has abandoned her, okay, in order to listen. Who do you identify with right now? Whose side would you pick? Would you pick the side of Mary, or would you pick the side of Martha? Would you be going, yeah, yeah, how in the world can that Mary just kind of slough up her responsibilities and go listen to Jesus? There's work to be done. Or are you going, that's silly, Martha. Why doesn't she stop all of her working and sit at the feet of Jesus? There's probably a polarization that's taking place in your heart as you listen to this just as there was a polarization within the house that they lived in. And I still want to know, where in the world is Lazarus? But we don't know. Luke Luke doesn't want to tell us this. But in both the world and the church, there has been this struggle with contemplation and activism. With being and doing. And you can see it in the culture of Jesus' day because on the one hand, you had the Essenes, a religious group who withdrew from the world in order to focus on their relationship with God. They were in some ways about a whole lot of, you know, being apart from everything else. But then you had the Zealots who said, don't bury your head in the sand. We need to get out there and we need to be freed from the shackles of Rome. We need to get busy. We have, they were there, they were essentially in some ways the forerunners of the social justice warriors that we sometimes experience today. Are we to care about social justice? Are we to be social justice warriors? Some people would say yes. Some people would say we should have nothing to do with that. It's polarizing. So, Mary, well, sorry, Martha comes to Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Don't you know I'm the only deacon? She says. She's appealing to Jesus here. I can't help but notice the irony. Because she calls him Lord. But she's not listening to him. She calls him Lord. But she seems to be telling him what to do. She's making demands of him. And her basic demand seems to be, make Mary like me. Tell her to get herself in, into the back room with me and to serve with me. What she's doing is wrong. And Jesus, of course, immediately says, Martha, you're right. <laughs> of course you're right. No, he says, Martha, Martha. And I think it's gentle here. I don't think Jesus is being harsh to her. You are anxious. 
and troubled about many things. Her heart is disturbed. She's overly concerned with a number of things that are going on in the, the process of the cooking and the cleaning and, and the serving that is taking place. She's troubled about many things. There's a lot of turmoil going on within her heart. There's a lot of angst that's taking place. There's a lot of frustration. There's anger that is going on in her heart. I can identify with Martha a little bit about this. Remember years ago, I was, uh, you know, when I was single, and uh, the, the church where I, I was a member when I was a young Christian, we, uh, during the summers, would play a lot of volleyball. And you know, uh, there was a small number who actually set up and took down, and I was one of those people. And uh, I got frustrated with the people who just played, who didn't set up and take down. And I was sinfully angry with those people. Because it had, mo- it had morphed into something other than service, real service. I wasn't doing it to love them. I... S- Selfishly wanted to be loved by them so that I guys didn't have to do as much work. Don't know why I love playing volleyball. But we come to a little more confusion in this text because Jesus tells Mary, uh, Martha, that there is one thing that is necessary. And what is confusing is why people think this. (laughs) Some people think he's talking about the meal. Like the only thing that matters, Martha, is the meal. Not sure what brings people down that particular road. Um, you know, just serve the meal and then sit down and relax uh, or something like that. But it has to be, I believe, seen within the context of Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. And so essentially what Jesus is saying to her is, Request denied. I want Mary right where she is. Mary needs to listen to me. And Martha, I think between the lines, so do you. You have not chosen the good portion, Martha. You see, I I, I suspect we're not really told what's going on in in Martha's heart, but because of her reaction, because of her uh, frustration and unrighteous anger at her sister, I'm thinking that she thought hospitality was about the serving, the the show of serving, the um, reputation of serving, more than about the being with the guest. But she'd lost her way and had, had forgotten what the main thing was. And the main thing was being with the guest who in this case is Jesus. Who wants to be messing with the dishes when you could be listening to Jesus? And Martha was. In our household, I know that my wife is prone, don't let her hear you or hear me. There's a dirty dish. There you go. Thank you, Jaden. 
She's going to want to clean up the dirty dish. And so when, when we have people over, I know that inside her, she's, she's thinking, I gotta clean these dishes. And fortunately in our house, the, the sink is right there, so, you know, right by the dining room table, so it's not a big deal. But sometimes, I clean up the dishes so that she doesn't have to. Because she's having a good conversation. She's enjoying being with our guests. And I want her to enjoy that. Usually it's people I don't like. No, just kidding. (laughs) Sometimes I want her to just be and to enjoy that. But I start wondering, why in the world is this text here? Why is this text in Luke chapter 10, why is it right on the heels of the story of the Good Samaritan? I mean, Luke could have conceivably put it anywhere. Okay, He's not necessarily telling a sequential story here. He's making theological points as he goes. Why does he have this here? Well, I think it's precisely because of the parable of the Good Samaritan, and in particular, the question that was asked by the rich young ruler. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus asked him, well, what is the commandments? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And most of us should have said, yay, Deuteronomy 6. Uh, six, yeah. Right there, we read that. He's affirming that. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Problem is, that that young man, it says in the text, that he was trying to justify himself. He asked, who is my neighbor? And so you have the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if if this event at the house of Mary is not here, you might get the wrong idea that the Christian life is mostly about serving or, or about activism. That, that somehow um, what takes precedence overall is love your neighbor as yourself. If we serve for the wrong reason, if we serve to justify ourselves, then we're going to be filled with turmoil and confusion. And if your service uh, within the church or within your family is met with that turmoil and confusion, then I would suggest that maybe... You're doing it for the wrong reason in that moment. Not altogether, but at that moment. I think what Luke is trying to communicate to us is that we need to be in the presence of Jesus. We need to contemplate Him. We need to behold Him in order that we can then go and serve properly. We are to be, then do, not simply be. Some people think we just be. The contemplatives, the monks, 
the monasteries, the, you know, the, that kind of mentality, the, the, the spend all of your time contemplating God. No, you contemplate God, but you also do. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength so that you can love your neighbor as yourself. Not so that you simply isolate yourself from your neighbor. But the only way you can love your neighbor well is if first you love God well. Or at all. The order has to be right. You cannot put the horse before the cart, or the cart before the horse. I got my words all discombobulated. We're called to love because we've been loved. And that's the whole point of sitting at the feet of Jesus, is drinking in the love of Jesus. We're only able to serve because we have been served by Christ who died for our sins. Who revealed His love for us in that particular way. And so, now knowing that, that we have been loved by Him and that He has given Himself for us, that we're now empowered to serve other people. To be active. If you think of the valiant woman I mentioned of uh, Proverbs 31, I think the reason she's valiant is because she spends time with God. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. How does she get the teaching of kindness upon her tongue? She listens to the teaching of kindness first. She has to be in the presence of God so that she can then speak His words to others. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She gains that by gazing at God. And then she goes and she serves her family and her world. We see a similar thing in Psalm 123. We should have this mindset. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. We sit and we behold Him until He sends us forth. That's the whole idea. They're waiting for the signal from their master. We actually have a dog that obeys now. He waits for the right word and the right hand signal before he eats the food that's in his bowl. He does not go until I say, or Jaden says, release. Then he gobbles it all up. But we're to be like that, eagerly waiting and looking at our Savior for the time He says, go, serve. We see a similar pattern in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The first part of that, 
Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is the being, is the beholding, is the listening at the feet of Jesus. And out of that flows everything else. If the Word of God is not dwelling in you richly, you can't teach and admonish anyone else. If the Word of God is not dwelling within you richly, you will not be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart. If the Word of Christ is not dwelling within you richly, uh, then you're not doing everything you do in the name of the Lord Jesus in, in gratitude. The being produces the doing. So, where do we kind of leave with this? I guess I go back to the the waltz that we talk about. Confess your lack of service, perhaps, or your lack of godly service. Receive the service of Christ for you. And then love and serve your neighbor. That's kind of the, the way the waltz kind of deals with this passage. So Jesus entered a world that had been ruined by sin. It it was a world full of segregation, conflict, sexism, and polarization. That sounds an awful lot like today. Jesus challenged his culture in in a quiet, gentle way. But he did challenge it including the church culture of his day. With his death and resurrection and ascension, Jesus ushers in a brand new way of life that's not bound by those cultural expectations and distortions. Women were welcomed as disciples with equal access to God. The the baptized sexism of his day was removed. Jesus also overturned the polarization of between contemplation and activism. He offers Himself to us as the better portion that empowers our activism as we contemplate and behold Him. And so, confess your cultural conformity. Receive the Jesus who counters all cultures. And walk in faithfulness to Him in the midst of of your culture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is different. <laughs> that he that he challenges the ways that sin has distorted our society as well as distorting us as individuals. And we thank you that Jesus has dealt with not just our personal sin, but also with the powers and the principalities that drive the systems of the world through his death and his resurrection. And so give us ears to hear. Help us to sit like Mary and listen so that we can know the places where we still go astray. We can learn the places where you strengthen. 
we can learn more about who you are so that we have something to share with the world. We have power to serve our neighbors. Continue to to work to make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.